You remain standing for this morning's scripture, and also I forgot a prayer request. Um, Annabelle is not with us. She's in Lovington. Her grandmother's sick, and so she's with her today, and so we lift her, pr- her in prayer, and obviously their family as well. Uh, this morning's scripture, as Shanna mentioned earlier, was, is from Revelation 21, verses 22 through 27. John writes, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This morning we're going to be um, wrapping up our current sermon series where we've been looking at different passages in the Gospels and the New Testament letters, where we've seen the usage of light as a metaphor to describe us, to describe for us God's presence in our life, and also uh, how the light of Christ or the light of God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Over the past six weeks, we've uh, looked at different passages of Scripture uh, where we have seen how the God of light is revealed, whether that was in the way that we see who Jesus was, like in the transfiguration, or where we see where Peter, James, and John are able to witness the glory of God, or we see how we are able to uh, seek light in our lives, not to take it for granted, but to actively pursue it. And we've also acknowledged in this series that the temptation is for us is for us to hide in the darkness, for us to find places that are away from God or away from others. And we hide from others because we don't want to be held accountable. We hide from God because we know that God knows what's in our hearts. And we know that what we do brings him pain and brings, puts distance between us and him. And so the metaphor that is used time and time again in the scriptures is how you and I, as followers of God and as followers of Jesus Christ, are able to seek light, to avoid the darkness, and to receive the light that comes to us only from God himself. So Jesus told his, default, his followers, I am the light of the world. And we've looked at how uh, we were able to see that Jesus' light was shown to the world in the way that he hung on the cross. And the last two weeks, we've looked in in the New Testament passages of of 1 Peter and of 1 John, where both of these letters tell us about the goodness of God and about the ways that God can take our times when we find ourselves in darkness and use them in order to, to turn them into periods of light or of goodness, or where we, you and I are able to experience his grace and his mercy. So this morning, our book of the Bible that we're looking at, quite honestly, I should have just skipped when I was planning it, because it's Revelation, and Revelation can be a little tricky sometimes. Um, it's easy for us to sometimes skip this passage of this, this book of the Bible. Uh, it's an apocalyptic book that was written by a man named John. John was exiled on the island of Patmos uh, off of Greece and somewhere between uh, 81 to 96 AD. On this island, John had a revelation or a dream that he recounted to a scribe who wrote down what God had revealed to him. And so Revelation, as we read it, is more than just the Left Behind book series. It's more than just the Johnny Cash song about the four horsemen. 
It's about a cosmic battle between good and evil. It's the final victory of Jesus Christ. And it's a book of profound theology, of prophecy, and also is just a very interesting way for a, a book for us to read. And so many of us might read Revelation or think of different times that we have heard passages of, from Revelation and different pictures come to mind. If you think of Revelation, there's a grand battle that occurs. There's scrolls coming down from heaven. There is a lamb that is able to open the scroll that is unable to be opened. There's the four horsemen of the apocalypse like on the screen. But Revelation is more than all of these things. Because most importantly, Revelation is a picture of what is to be. Because it tells of us of the great promise of who God is and of how God has chosen to work in this world through the, pre through the presence or person of Jesus Christ and his promised return and his promised new kingdom. And so this morning's scripture comes from the very end of Revelation. And if you were to read the chapters preceding our scripture this morning, John's described something. He's described a holy city that he has seen. He talks about a new Jerusalem that is being rebuilt by God. And this new Jerusalem was required because the Romans have just completed destroying the city of, of Jerusalem in 70 AD. The Jews had revolted and so they rose up and they you know, laid siege to the city for a period of time. And then they were able to breach the walls and go into the city and they pulled the walls and the gates down and they destroyed the temple. And so Jerusalem, as it is remembered historically by the people who, you know, are Jewish and who obviously remember it, the Jerusalem that they remember is no longer. And so as John describes this vision of what the new city of God is going to look like, he uses descriptive words. You can go online and, uh, you can go to the next slide, America. Um, you know, and, and, oh, well, whatever, I may be out of order, I'm sorry, um, and so he uses descriptive words and he talks about all of these stones of great value. That, you know, you look at this one layer and it is all stones of this value. You look at the next layer and it is all stones of this value. You look at this thing and, and it's all this beauty and splendor. And, and this city, this, this picture of this city that John paints that he has received from God is a city that's like no other. Because it's a city whose sole purpose and the only reason exists is to reflect the vast glory of God and the uniqueness of the promise of God. And so a short description of it is it looks like a giant cube in the, basically going up into the sky where all of the splendor and the glory and anything else that you and I could put into words and probably can't even put into words would be shown. It's everything that we can imagine from God. But then John gets to where this morning kind of ties in. Because, he, because as he describes this, this new Jerusalem, he describes a Jerusalem that will not contain a rebuilt temple. And he says that the temple will no longer be needed because God is now dwelling in his people and the people are the temple. So this means that for those who are waiting for a temple to be rebuilt, John says that doesn't need to happen. This means for those who are anticipating an action of God that they expect to happen in a worldly way, where Romans, the Romans are both pushed out of Israel and the temple is also rebuilt, well, it's not going to happen that way, and that's not the new Jerusalem that John sees. 
Because he says the perfect city of God does not have a temple. Because the temple is us. Because the temple has served its purpose. It's fulfilled the reason that that it was originally constructed by Solomon. It's fulfilled the reason that, that King Herod went and enlarged the courts and rebuilt the temple. It's fulfilled its purpose. Because its original purpose was to serve as a signpost for Israel to, to whenever they came to the temple or whenever they visited the temple or whenever they thought of the temple, <clears throat> it was going to point their eyes to God. So as they saw this thing that was beautiful before them, this building that they could visit, this building that they could go to, it was designed to cause them to look upward and to think upward and to think about God in their midst. <clears throat> That's the whole reason the temple was the way it was. Well, so when the people of Israel came to Jerusalem, they would see it and they would realize that the glory of God was far beyond that and they would look upward and think of God who was in their midst. And so John's saying that's no longer needed. The signpost is no longer needed. The temple was no longer needed because the city of God is going to be holy in its entirety. The city of God was going to be in a place where where God would reside with his people and where the people themselves would become the temples with the Holy Spirit. That God's people would become the temple where, where God was choosing to be. Not in a place, not somewhere else, not something that you and I can 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 go to. <clears throat> John's saying it's going to be there and it's going to be at the present time. And so this means that our actions, our thoughts, our words, and our worship were to become for in themselves signposts that point others to Jesus himself. You know what I'm saying? So what John is saying is no longer was the temple needed to cause people to look and see, but what John is saying is that the people of God are now the temples, which means that everything that we do should be designed and should cause people to see God himself. It's kind of daunting, isn't it? Kind of intimidating, kind of overwhelming, really, if you think about it. Because our focus is not to be on where God is worshipped. But our focus is to be on how God is worshipped in us. On our relationship with God himself. On on the way that we gather together. On the way that that we become who God has created us to be. Because a building doesn't make a church. A government doesn't make a church. A structure doesn't make a church. But it's made when the the presence of, of Christ and the transforming power of the Spirit is found in God's people. And so this means our focus is not to be on something else, but our focus has to be on our hearts, on our faith, and our relationships when it comes to being followers of Jesus Christ. Well, here's where it ties into our sermon theme. John says, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp, the Lamb is its lamp, and the nations will walk by its light. So what John is saying is that the city of God doesn't need any light at all, isn't he? Because the light of God is all that you need and it's all that you'll have. 
that we no longer need the created light created by by the sun and the moon and the stars these created objects were designed by God to to both illuminate the creation while also serving as signposts to to look to the heavens and think about the creation and about what God has done and is doing well really everything we see is designed for that Everything we see is designed to, to bring reverence and awe as, as we steward and as we look at the creation, as we look at God and as we offer gratitude and as we offer thanks. The creation isn't our end. And so what John's saying is, is that, that God is going to be the end. That God becomes our object of worship. And the purpose of everything that else, else that we see is to point our eyes to him. And so what is he saying? He's saying in God's light, there is no dark. Darkness will no longer exist at all. He's saying in God's light, evil will not exist at all. In God's light, sickness will not exist at all. In God's light, whatever it is that you want to put in there, it's not going to be there at all. Whatever it is. Wherever we go to hide in the darkness, to dwell in the darkness, whatever we do to attempt to create or, or to um, create our own version of, of God's light, because we do that too, right? Well, we're not going to need to do any of those things anymore. Because in God's light, whatever it is, evil or darkness or sickness or sin, won't exist at all. And see, the beauty of that is that in his light, we're going to be able to see everything with the same light and the same eyes that God sees everything. We'll be able to see things as God sees them without uh, the added level of distortion that's caused by our sins. We'll be able to see the world as God sees the world without barriers and obstacles that get between us and him and us and others. We'll be able to have relationships with others and all of the glory and fullness that God intends without the obstacles that are caused by sin. When we look at the world through the light of God, some things that we deem important, or maybe a lot of things that we deem important, folks, when we look at them through God's guise, they're going to become unimportant, aren't they? And some things that we consider maybe not as important, I think we're going to look at them with God's eyes and we're going to realize that they're really important. Because when we look at the world through the, in the light of God, we will see the things that were once permissible in the darkness now become impermissible. And we will see the things that God wants us to see. Because the darkness will be tossed aside. Because in the glory of God's life, we see everything as it truly is in His presence. We'll see the glory of God in His light. We'll see the glory of God in His majesty we'll see the glory of God in such a great way that John says that even though all of those who had opposed God before will come and honor him worship because of his majesty. Friends, that's the promise. That's the God's plan. That's the whole reason he sent Jesus. And that's what we're invited to become a part of. When we choose to immerse ourselves in his grace, in his word and in his forgiveness when we choose to follow jesus 
and when we choose to walk in and with his light because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it.